Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Minority Report. In the year 2020, the police can predict if you're a criminal based on skin color and skull measurements. But in the year 2050, they use three psychics in a bathtub. <laughs> Which one sounds better? <laughs> I don't know. Neither's great. Neither yeah, is great. Neither's great. I, I guess we don't need this in the first place. Um, anyway, this is Matt. This is Luke. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Where today we will be discussing all about pre-crime and finding out where you're going and what the algorithms are going to read on you with um, Minority Report. I also just popped a fizzy coke all over myself. And he's popped a fizzy coke all over himself. Um, <laughs> this is a film to, to get a little weird with. So um, we, we have a man who wrote the, the textbook of conspiracy theories, The Octopus of Global control. Um, he now has his own podcast, Macro Aggressions. That is macro, not micro. I've had to explain that to a person or two. Uh, Charlie Robinson, thanks for uh, joining us in in the sanctuary. Well, thanks for having me on. This is going to be a whole lot of fun because um, I've okay. So full disclosure, I've never done a movie review before. I went to USC. They had this great film school. They make you take this cinema class your freshman year, and everyone's like, oh, it's an easy A, and I got a C plus. So I'm just warning you right off the bat that my movie reviewing skills might need a little work, but I can definitely get weird with you on this. And this is a, this is a trippy movie that is going to remind people of where we are in the future, that the future that we thought was way, way out there uh, in some cases is – is happening right now and it's a little bit um, it's a little bit terrifying yeah I first saw this movie I, I believe on the opening night I think it's around the time I was doing like environmental education so I might have been lost in the woods but I saw it pretty close to release date and um, you know the future in here I was like oh that's fascinating it doesn't seem realistic and I don't like it um, watching it this time it's like I still don't like it, and it seems kind of realistic. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm waiting for the ads to you know pop me in the face while walking down a hallway or something. <laughs> I don't think I saw it in theaters. I was a little too young, but I definitely caught it on as soon as it came out on home release. And I remember actually watching this in my philosophy and ethics A level course. So what uh, did they say? <laughs> well, I mean, we just we used it as a springboard to various discussions. I think we were talking about like free will and predestination and stuff and i feel like this is one of those films where my my opinion on it has done a full 180 <laughs> and that when i watched it then and i was like 16 years old and thought i was going to be a cop one day i would have been 100 percent on tom cruise's side and now i'm like oh god burn all of this down <laughs> it's yeah. terrible I mean, it's like it's like Brave New World, where you know the best place to be is out with a savage somewhere <laughs> in the uh the brush <laughs> um Charlie, how, uh, when did you first see this one? 
you know, I think I saw it in the theaters, if I recall. And then I, I didn't watch it again until like a week ago. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, but, but I, you know, I felt like I had seen it maybe in between them because it seemed really familiar to me. But, but I, for, I think I, I forgot how, um, impressive the, uh, computer generated images and, and the graphics and all of the, um, you know, how they predicted the future technologies and everything. I forgot how, what a great job they did with that. I mean, they made it look like, you know, halfway between, you know, something that you would be familiar with right now. So it wasn't so futuristic that you couldn't relate to it. It had, it had a lot of, um, it had a lot of technologies that you could sort of realistically see yourself using. And it's crazy to watch it now and see, like, I mean, I made a list of the things that were in that movie as the future that are currently happening right now. And so it's it's trippy to watch it. It, it, it seems like you don't have to get to 2054. Uh, you maybe probably only need to get to 2034 for these things to come true at the rate we're going. It's a fascinating movie. No, I remember... Um Aldous Huxley talking about Brave New World, saying he wished he had actually set that movie much closer to the present. And uh, Minority <laughs> Report sort of has the the same thing about it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was fifty years out in the future from when they made it. So um, yeah, I mean you're you're having to uh, having to guess a little bit at that part at that point. But but I think they did a very good job of it. It's unfortunately. Um, and it's a deep movie too, you know. That, like you said, it, it, talking about the difference between free will and determinism and things like that. It's, uh, it's a, it's got many layers to it, you know. Yeah, and pure f- more of the, the filmmaking terms. I think this was Spielberg's first big budget thing for quite a while when it came out. It was uh, like Lost World of This. Is it? Oh, okay, AI is between. And there's Simpler, right? Yeah, but that's kind of as more it's art. It wasn't right? sci-fi, but it's huge budget. Yeah, okay, good point. But uh, yeah, he did have AI, I guess, a year or two before this, which is you yeah, know equally he, disturbing. I think for... he was constantly putting something out every few years. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's definitely a good follow-up to AI because a lot of the same disquiet in that movie tends to uh, reflect here as well. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen AI yet, but it's on my list. But I, I intentionally didn't watch it um, before I had this conversation with you guys because I was afraid I was going to get the two movies confused because they seem like they could there could be some overlap between AI Steven Spielberg's version of it and and Minority Report that he did as well. I feel like they could almost exist in the same world. Yeah, really. He just went a little bit. Although we should mention that um, Minority Report is a Philip K. Dick story from the late fifties, right? And um, just like what happened when he did Total Recall, I went and my I have the selected stories of Philip K. Dick on my iPad, and it didn't have Minority Report or or um, <laughs> we can remember for you wholesale. So I didn't read that. This film was in <laughs> development at one point as a sequel to Total Recall. Oh, yeah. They were gonna. I think it was like in the nineties. They were gonna bring Schwarzenegger back do this story with the same characters. I guess he, between the two films, joined that police force or whatever. <laughs> there were lawsuits between these groups, of uh, the people that wrote it and the people that optioned it. It was a huge legal mess for like 10 years, and it kind of fizzled out, and then Spielberg picked it back up later and wound up making it. Yeah, I'm sitting here wondering if... I, I don't want to see like Quaid as a 
person, like the actual character, right? From Total Recall. But I am sitting here thinking, how would this go with Schwarzenegger? You know, of course, I'd rather watch a film with Schwarzenegger. But (laughs) I guess this is one of those films that benefits from the fact that you don't really like Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) You like to watch him. Yeah, yeah. but like Schwarzenegger, I don't want him to be the bad guy, right? Yeah. (laughs) Tom Cruise, you're like, I kind of hope he gets punched at the end of this. That's why Collateral is one of his best movies. Yeah, he's always his best when he's not quite playing the hero. Um, Let's get a little, let's get talking a bit more about Tom, but uh, first I'll lay down the story for this one, I guess. Go ahead. John Anderton lost his six-year-old son to a random, murderous creeper at a public pool six years ago. He may be constantly high on futuristic skag, but he has teamed up with Lamar Burgess to prevent that sort of thing happening again. The two have instituted pre-crime across the District of Columbia. Three precogs kept under sedation in an underground government temple know when a murder is about to occur. Any potential murder is apprehended before any life is lost, and that pre-murder is sent into penal cold storage. In fact, other than crimes of passion, DC has seen no murders for the past six years. But the next prediction pegs John Anderton as the future murderer of Leo Crow, a person he does not even know. Anderton knows he is innocent of this future crime and makes moves to combat his arrest. He gets his eyes swapped out in this eye-scanning dystopia. He punches riot police in the face. He kidnaps precog Agatha to gain access to the Minority Report, wherein John murders no one. But it turns out there is no Minority Report. Why? It seems that Leo Crow murdered Anderton's son. Or did he? This all turns out to be a scam from Anderton's mentor, the aforementioned Lamar Burgess, to knock him out as Anderton recently came across some evidence that the precogs may not be infallible and they have been kidnapped. And maybe that plan worked out. Anderton is sent to cold storage and may simply dream his best life away. Or maybe Anderton's ex-wife freed him from cold storage, which lets him reveal Burgess's horror and free the precogs to live in a beautific countryside with a directed-by-Steven-Spielberg credit rolling over the new house. You've just recorded that over our opening. Yeah, fix it. P.S. Danny Whitmer is a fantastic red herring. Okay, we'd like to get into the actors a bit. Um, we have one of the biggest actors on the planet. 
uh, starring in this one, Tom Cruise. You say biggest. When this movie came out, sure. No, but he's five foot six. Oh, right. He's a little short, but... He's the same height as me. <laughs> That's your height, is it? Yeah. Okay, I guess That's I didn't six, notice. Because yeah. <laughs> well, I live in Japan, so no one can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of agoraphobic. I don't like being around a lot of people, but in Japan it almost never matters because my head's always above. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've said it before, like, my favorite YouTube video is Tom Cruise going on about Scientology for ten minutes and making, like, half statements. <laughs> yeah, he, sh he showed it to me last week. He just, he starts sentences but never finishes them and just keeps starting new sentences. I've <laughs> never like, noticed that. Now I'm going to have to go watch that. Now. Like, uh, yeah, just look at I don't miss my words, but I just, you know? And when it happens, you've just, you've got to, the thing... <laughs> and then it cuts to his next phrase. So, uh, yeah, do have a look at that one later. Just, you know, Tom Cruise on Scientology and you'll... I mean, they put it out. That's I guess that's what they wanted you to see? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's like you want Tom to be the villain, but it's almost hard not to like him a little bit. Yeah, there's a reason he's like the biggest actor in the world. <laughs> I like that he... You know, I've always liked that he does his own stunts, too which is something that he could very easily not be a part of, but it seems that he's, uh, you know, just made the decision that he's going to hang off of buildings. And yeah, of course he films it and promotes that, you know, probably, probably because he has a giant ego, but it is cool that he does, uh, not just his own stunts, but some pretty hairy ones, at least in the mission impossible movie. So I, I do give him credit for that, but I will, I will never, unsee him jumping on the couch you know <laughs> uh, that just is kind of still burned into my into my memory and of uh, him and oprah so like for this and war of the worlds he seemed very much in the pocket of that particular establishment it seems recently i i, I guess playing that down i don't i haven't heard like you know him and them in the the same sentence for quite a right, while he seems to still be breathing so i don't think he's left yeah <laughs> but well, these days, I feel like he makes the... F the film is built around whatever new stunt he wants to do. Yeah. He calls up the, the yeah. writers. He's like, okay, at this time, I want to fly a fighter jet and do a loop-to-loop. -loop. Like, okay, well, we'll write you a new Top Gun film. But I guess he's still under, what, a, a billion-year contract, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, he's got a little bit more to... He's got to... He should think of conserving his body. He's going to need it for the next billion Looking years. Looking at how little he ages, I think he might live a billion years. <laughs> please, please don't sue us. <laughs> um, of course there's Tom there are some other very good actors in here and now that he's passed away I, I really have to ask the question is it Seedow or Seidel? <laughs> I've always said Seidel but I don't I think, think it's based on anything I think it's actually Max von Seidel huh? yeah Max Maybe. von Seidel anyway he, he's the best villain besides Tom Cruise he was Ming the Merciless he's great in here <laughs> yeah he's spot on here because yeah I think you put it in your notes that he's he's like a lovable villain in this one. Mm. Like he's affable, he's grandfatherly, but he still is like awful. Yeah, don't turn your back on that guy, which may be the same with a lot of government officials. <laughs> and it's that charming British accent that gets you, you know. <laughs> we are very good at playing villains. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've, we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but are, are you familiar with the uh, British side of pro wrestling? No. Yeah, um, basically, whenever the American wrestlers come to the UK, we always cheer the bad guys. Oh, really? <laughs> and I, I've been to a few shows where it's like quite new wrestlers. 
and they just don't know how to deal with it because they're expecting the booze. They're trying to play up the villain, but the whole crowd is on their side. That's funny. I, 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 one of my things on my list of to do before I die is to go watch a proper uh, football game in the UK with a bunch of you maniacs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I have to experience. <laughs> At this moment, being late July, uh, twenty twenty, I, I think us Americans can only go to what nine countries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might have to wait, but uh, well, to be you're not even allowed in the football stadiums in the UK at the moment. There we go. It's been played in empty yeah. stadiums. Yeah, wow. Japan's been playing this weird. Like we, Luke and I have not experienced a real lockdown yet, which is kind of, I guess. Yeah, amazing. we haven't missed a day of work. We, the restaurants closed for like two weeks. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's good. It's doing cycle. It's doing psychological damage to people here in the u.s and people are, are on a very short fuse and they're acting like maniacs constantly and, and i think that's like a pressure cooker and then you factor in the heat coming and there's no pro sports to diffuse that yeah people are stressing out right yeah, we've gotten we uh, we personally have gotten pretty lucky in this one yeah it's like japan has like made a few like cursory moves to go along with the rest of the world but um in general they kind of seem like oh we can't be bothered uh that said tokyo is now i guess experiencing a resurgence but um still numbers nothing like you're going to see in the states or brazil or something or even the uk yeah <laughs> europe right depending on what those numbers mean <laughs> dirty american spreading it all over the place yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugs for everyone. Yeah, no one likes touching other people in Japan, so... True. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I like to live in Japan. <laughs> but uh, Colin Farrell, of course, needs a mention here. He turns out to be quite a red herring, because he, he's almost the hero of this film, but he realizes it just, like, a few ticks too late. Yeah, he... he... I think, well, he wasn't there to shut them down, was he? No, he was there to check them out, but they thought he was there to yeah, shut yeah. them down. That like maybe he'd have been more the hero if he was. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he did. He felt like if they if it not been from Tom Cruise's point of view, he could very easily have been the hero of this film. Yeah, he had more like charm and personality than Cruise's character. He was more in the right, mm. but it was told from the point of view of Anderton, which is a stupid name, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, like I said, I, I did actually read the story because my Philip K. Dick um, compilation didn't have it. But I do understand that in the story, um, Anderton is like like a balding middle-aged man. Okay. He's like less, you know, like, well, he's, he's not a marquee face, which he is here. So um, that is a, a twist. And yeah, now I'm like wondering where Schwarzenegger would have fit into that whole uh, continuum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking up Neil McDonough, who was the... Tom Cruise's partner on the force. It was a face I really recognized, but I've got no idea where from. Yeah, go back to that filmography. Red? Was he red? Yeah, Desperate Captain Cap America. Okay, apparently. Captain America. Band of Brothers. Okay, he's been in a few things. He's been in a bunch of stuff, but I don't quite know where it's I saw It's funny him. you say that. I was having the exact same thoughts when I saw that. I was like, why do I know this guy? I know him from some. I, it's from Band of Brothers. That's where oh, okay. I recognize him. Yeah, he's got a, a huge filmography. He's just never. The main guy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. He's a working man, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know who he was in Captain America. He was Dum Dum Dugan. Big oh, yeah, a little older, yeah. right? Yeah, he okay. looked very different. Yeah. <laughs> he put a few years yeah, on Yeah, him. I guess he's just one of those character actors who's in little roles and everything. Hmm. So, you know, you know, the actors, actors, um, I guess this is a bit of what 
they'd call a high concept movie. So we'll move on to those high concepts. But are there any other actors we want to give a, a mention to? Uh, there are other actors in the film, but I don't feel like I have much to say about any of them. Yeah, it is. It's kind of the design and the story that's really the things that grab you here. No, so. but yeah, most of the characters are playing very basic archetypes right. to fit that role in the story. Let's plunge on into it then. Let's go in head first this time. What disquiets your soul the most about this? Um, I think, so, using the precognition to stop the crime happening, obviously I don't have a problem with that. But that they were then just locking people up in tubes for a crime they hadn't done. I mean, it would still I mean, be... I don't like that people go to prison as it is, <laughs> let alone when they didn't even do the crime. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be a, still be like a bullshit rehab, but couldn't you send them to a rehab center? I don't know, like a psychological counseling center yeah, or something? Yeah, just be like, okay, well, we detected that you were going to commit this crime, so we're going to counsel you to make sure that you don't commit any crimes. <laughs> And it, they never explained, if, were they being held for an indefinite amount of time, just forever? Well, it didn't this, even like, seem like they had a real trial. No, they just put him in this, like, um, uh, like dream virtual reality simulator machine and just locked him up in there for, what, forever? <laughs> I mean, it, it seems crazy to me. I guess no one had been there in there for more than six years, but yeah, the... the sell-through date is uh, sort of unknown there. Yeah. I, I, at first, I thought they were literally watching their own, the murder over and over, which would have been incredibly dark, but I think it was just that they were just dreaming and we could see their dreams. Well, there's the theory that once um, Anderton goes into what, what I kept calling cold storage, <laughs> I don't know if it's cold or warm or what, but um, the rest of the movie is his fever dream of how he would like things to work right, out. Right, because it does suddenly everything works right. out perfectly from there. I think that actually. I think that actually is the what he was going for because if you notice in that at the very end as he's guiding him through everything with the earpiece and the hood when he takes the hood off he has a shaved head Mm. in that and when he was put in the cold storage they put him in with a shaved head so. It's. It seems as though it was just him having a dream, hallucinating that, that it was going to end that way. That that that, like you said, from that point on, that everything that we saw was technically just a dream. His dream, his version of it. I guess it was a uh, Philip K. Dick's life story. He just didn't know if he was living a dream or reality or reality is a dream. It's a constant theme running through his work with this blending of the dream world and reality and where does it end and dimensions. And yeah, he's a, he's a phenomenal writer for these sorts of uh, futuristic worlds. You, you almost kind of get the feeling if you read enough of his stuff that maybe he had one foot, you know, in another reality. You know, he didn't seem like he was well-adjusted to this world. I mean, I guess it's true for a lot of artists. Well, you know, just claim that what their inspiration, they don't even know where it comes from. They know it doesn't come from them. Yeah, Stephen King often said that he just, he sits down and the words just come appear on his typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he doesn't know how a story's going to end until he gets there. <laughs> 
wish I could do that. But, you know, I make enough music that I, I, half of the time I don't really know where this stuff's coming from. Sometimes it turns out I just ripped off a, something I heard somewhere. But <laughs> There's oh, yeah. always that possibility. <laughs> so, like, when this movie came out, pre-crime was a pretty fantastical concept. But now we have the, the algorithms that can smell our scent. You know, there's actually talk of this sort of thing occurring in the not-that-distant future. Well, you always have the thought, right, if I search something a little bit weird on Google, I'm like, well, now I'm on an FBI list. Mm. Well, I've had the thing I mentioned before, like, you know, it's like, what do you do about backaches? And then, like, a few days later, I got a backache, which could be psychosomatic, but... Um, but it could be that you the... turned 40 and Facebook knew. <laughs> but in the movie, then, they, of course, n- knew that, and everywhere you went, you were bombarded with personalized video ads for backache creams of, of, you know, all different varieties. So in the movie, that was sort of a, one of the aspects of it that we could really relate to is the personalized advertising, how over the last couple of years, uh, maybe not to the extent in the movie where you have talking billboards and things like that, which would probably make you insane, feel like you had voices in your head, but but we are in this sort of like halfway there where we're, we're getting you're having a conversation or <laughs> standing next to your laptop about something going on in your life. And then you notice that a couple of days later, you've got ads that are specific to that. And you're going, OK, that's kind of freaking me out. So that's a form of this personalized um, advertising that we saw. And in another you know, another thing that that I think is coming. Um, well, I mean, this this movie didn't get into it too much is this social credit system. And a lot of people talk about that being in the future. But really, aspects of that are already in, happening in China, where where these kind of in a minority report style, you you're smoking a cigarette on a bus and you're not supposed to and the virtual and the facial recognition cameras pick up on who you are map you out through AI in a database, figure out who you are, fine you, ping your cell phone to tell you that a $15 fine has been deducted from your account on this QR code. And that is happening right now. That is already happening. So so part of this uh, minority report insane software um that they talk about in the in uh, that they show in the movie is is actually already happening because of these facial recognition cameras and it's it's about as dystopian as you can imagine well we say it's happening like in china but there are elements of it happening everywhere if you we live we live so much of our lives online that when you apply for a job you know the employer is going to go through your social media history they're going to be like well five years ago i see a photo of you and you look a bit drunk here so that's going to lower my opinion of you, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. And the big difference between the world that we live in and the world in Minority Report is that there was human oversight in Minority Report. Yeah, right. Tom Cruise was stood doing that stuff. It wasn't just left to an algorithm. Right. I got kicked off of Twitter for for making just a just a joke about you know when are we going to throw Bill Gates into a volcano? This was pre-coronavirus too. This was back in February, and. They they you know deleted my account and they're like you know you can click a button if you wish to uh, to you know refute this which I did and I typed like come on give me a break have a human being take a look at this like it's clearly a joke but it said I was inciting group violence which is which is fun anyway you know in the end they just ran it through their their AI or whatever they have and 
my account was was gone. No human oversight at all. So you're right. Minority Report was actually maybe doing things a little bit more ethically than we are right now. I'll tell you your mistake. What you need to do is uh, punch Jeff Bezos in the face. I was, I was about to make the same joke. They obviously don't have an audio version yet because on every fifth episode of this podcast, I say I want to punch Jeff Bezos in the face <laughs> or explicitly tell our listeners to do it. <laughs> you run into him. That's what you do. Yeah, well, they'll wait till you until you guys are monetized and feeling real nice and feeling yeah, comfortable yeah. on that, and then they'll take it away from you. <laughs> That's why we're hiding out in Japan and doing this for funsies. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Um, yeah, I, I tried to I tried to tweak my algorithm a few years ago. I, I deleted all of my Facebook likes and redid all of them with Kenny Rogers. You know, favorite movie. Uh, uh, oh, oh, it was actually Six Pack, his favorite TV show, The Gambler, favorite restaurant, Kenny Rogers Roasters, and so on. And man, when he died earlier this year, you won't believe what my Facebook feed looked like. <laughs> Oh my God! In my 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 old college roommate worked for Kenny Rogers for like seven years, on his crew, building sets for him. Said he was the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> so yeah, so like, I, that's that's the thing. If I'm if I'm gonna you know throw poo in the face of the algorithm and do it with something that's at least like fun. <laughs> that's great, man. I like that a lot. Charlie, I'm going to throw the ball to you. Uh, we, we brought up a few of the things that were on your mind with this film, but uh, any any topics you want to kind of delve into with the philosophy or design or so forth? Well, you know, it the whole pr- the whole concept of pre crime is it, it really it makes you have to think for a second about this because uh, it does bring up these these. You know, the, the option that free will versus determinism and, and, and it also kind of makes you think of government overreach and how, and, and there, it brings in the surveillance system. So it's sort of a combination of a, a bunch of different concepts in here that had me, had me worried. But I'd say that overall, the one that really, really bothered me was the surveillance aspect of this whole thing because of how I'm feeling about our current move into the surveillance state and um you know to have these three precogs be able to see you know to see you doing things i mean let's take the you know seeing the future component out of it just even though that's a trip in and of itself but just the fact that somebody's kind of constantly watching you and they can dig that up and they can you can go back in time and look where you were it's just a total invasion of privacy and it feels really disgusting it's sort of the core of this of this movie uh and it makes me think of where we are right now with the invasion of privacy um with you know the surveillance cameras everywhere our digital lives are totally being monitored edward snowden meant you know spilled the beans on the worst kept secret in the world that the NSA is actively spying on everybody. And so, and satellites are going up constantly and Elon Musk is going to put a million satellites up and, 
you know, it just feels a bit like, ugh, what are, you know, what is this world that we're going to be living in? It's going to be a dystopian nightmare. And it seems like, um, if we were, if we were collectively thinking about where this is headed, we might do something about it. Uh, but, but we're not. We're just actively allowing this digital wall to be built around us. And it's, it's a bit terrifying, to be honest with you. Interesting, this film came out in 2002, which is incredibly soon after 9-11. Yeah. Because it's a very post-9-11 film. It's about, okay, well, we've decided to trade freedom for security. Yeah, and it also has, like, you know, you can go where you want to with the narrative of 9-11, but this, this film has, like, a very, like, clear, false flag. I mean, they show the mechanics of how it went down and how mm-hmm. he did it and all of that. <laughs> It showed uh, government manipulation and the influence of powerful people and how when you want to get a project approved in government, you sometimes cut corners and you bury the evidence of anything that would give it a bad name. So it really it really pulled together some themes that we have come to understand in our own governments that 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 is run by psychos that have enormous egos that want their project to be the one and so you get it you get a glimpse of that and they're willing to do unspeakable things and cross lines that the rest of us would never think of crossing in order to make sure that their agenda moves forward so i think spielberg did a nice job of incorporating that in there or maybe uh, probably more realistically philip k dick incorporated that in there since i don't i think he was not a big fan of government definitely um, I was just trying to think because, like, the main, the leaders of this operation, Tom Cruise and um, Max von Sydow, I can't remember either of the character names. Underton. Underton, yeah. He's doing this because he personally suffered a loss. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a personal project for him. And he could, he dresses it up as, like, well, I don't want anyone else to go through what I went through. But, like, when the chips are down he thinks he's found the guy, he goes straight for revenge and murder. And, like, this is not a benevolent, we're doing trying to do the right thing sort of operation. This is, a like, a Batman-style quest to make himself feel better. But the creepy thing is he does, in his own mind, in the moment, decide not to kill the man. True. So, in that case, the precogs were almost right, but almost right's not good enough to put a right. person in prison. But it I, is it good often... enough, like we said at the start, to say, okay, we think you're going to commit murder, so we're going to help you. So what I wanted to ask is, like, everyone has a situation where they would probably kill someone, right? If it was, like, to save my loved ones or to avenge... I, I, I abhor violence for the most part, but I'm sure in that situation I would kill a person. So if they can see through these elaborate systems the chain of events that led to this situation and prevent it, what are they punishing people for? That your circumstances led you to this position. I mean, of course, like, there are murderers who are just bad people and did a bad thing. But there are a lot of situations where it could have been prevented through a little bit of kindness or a slightly different situation. Yes, basically, they they make it clear that six years into the pre-crime, it's mostly just, like, crimes of passion. Nobody, like, premeditates. Yeah, no one's stupid enough to try that anymore. Right. (laughs) Because they'll catch you way beforehand in that case. Just a weird one. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a what I would compare it to in the modern world. 
which yeah. is, I guess, just the entire, our entire justice system, which is based on like making making victims feel better rather than preventing future crime. Well, it's like every. I, we don't have the U.S. perspective here, or the U.K. one, really, even though we're... Well, I'm two years out. Right, so everyone just went through this basically being, like, imprisoned for a few months, and then when they were kind of let out, they went a little bit wild, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's long been the, um, put an innocent man in prison and he'll come out criminal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people were fed up in, in, in the United States, and, and, of course all the protesting and riots were, you know, attributed to the George Floyd situation. But, you know, I think there was a, a fair percentage of people that were just expressing their frustration from being cooped up for the last three months at that point. And, um, they were blended in there too. They were, they were mad, they were mad, but they weren't, you know, they were mad that they had been under house arrest. Yeah. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously right. that was influencing them. No, I remember mentioning like, Probably saying to you in March, it's like, man, this is going to result in like massive protests within a few weeks. Yeah. I didn't know exactly why <laughs> the protests <laughs> would start, but uh, that that was that was a, a you know, I guess a, a twist, right? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought well, the would energy just... was there for that to happen. It just needed a spark, and that's what the George Floyd situation was. It sparked up a lot. It, it, a lot of people brought fuel to that to that fire of, of, of different varieties. And it was uh, just a combination of things, I think. I mean, even in Japan, they tried to, there, there were some um, BLM protests in Tokyo. They really had to reach, though. Well, I mean, Japan does have a huge problem with its criminal justice system. Oh, yeah. It's just that it doesn't have any black people. Right. So, so what they ended up doing is the cops had mildly mis- manhandled Oh, I think they had man. pretty badly beaten up some guy. Oh, okay. Just to be black. Like, they the Japanese police do get up to this stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. just less common because a there aren't isn't that much racial diversity here, mm. and there also just isn't that much crime. I mean, I still I, I don't know how it is for you, but um, even now when I see a cop coming down the street in Japan, honestly, the cops don't really screw with you in Japan. Uh, I've been here for fourteen years. Basically, I've been stopped and asked to see like my, you know, like um, alien card twice, and right. I was in Tokyo. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've, the only interaction I've had with the police is when I lost my wallet and I went to the police station and they had it. <laughs> and then I dropped 10 yen and when I got to work the police phoned and they sent an officer to give me back my 10 yen so those are Japanese police I still have wow. the wow I've, I've kept it on a shelf here I my, still... ten, my 10 yen coin that the police came to my office to give me like oh I still God. that's how not busy they are here in Nagano I still have a knee jerk reaction when I see a cop car rolling down the street or walking by some cops basically because I lived in America for uh, well a fair portion of my life, at least. Yeah, I don't have it so much. A because I lived in the UK. Yeah. And B because I briefly was in the police. <laughs> but um, the way in Japan they roll around at night with their lights going, that always makes me feel a little bit on edge. They just have the lights going all the time. Right. They just roll down the street like they're behind you with the lights on. So as an American, oh, I got to oh. pull over. They they got me, and no, they're just driving. <laughs> oh, I would I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, it's <laughs> I would crazy. Been all freaked out. I'd be like, God, they. They hate me. Everywhere I go, I'm getting <laughs> trying to pull me over. And then when the sirens go here, they sound like World War II bomb sirens as well. So that freaked me out the first few times. Oh, that's not that. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, we, we were doing a podcast on Godzilla, and they had like while we were doing it on the side of a mountain, the same like the Godzilla alert started like playing through the town. That's great. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
talked about the sort of the social future that this film predicted but there's also a lot of like technology and that kind of science fiction future it had the main question i want to ask is which had the best self-driving cars car chase this or irobot oh, it's been a while since i saw irobot so i was really reminded of them they both just have those generic silver self-driving cars yeah um my notes were one wouldn't these self-driving cars make you vomit the way they go up the balls and... The yeah, 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 yeah. That was my one thought. And, on and the other one is, I mean, I, I'm not really slamming the film for this. The, the CGI is very good, but it did make me think a bit of a PlayStation 2 game. It's that, it's that washed out white light thing they do, which these days is what a very low budget sci-fi film does to hide where it's using its effects. Mm. But it makes this film look a lot cheaper than I think it actually was. Well, I'll start. I love driving. I certainly don't want a self-driving car. Really? Yeah, I, I enjoy driving, but I think all cars should be self-driving eventually because road deaths are so common. Yeah, yeah, okay. Plus, then we could just eliminate car ownership. <laughs> they just, just, one rolls up and you get in it and it takes you where you want to go. Yeah, it's like Disney's people mover idea, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's the one that's, that will work here. I don't know if that would work in, like, America or Europe. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to a future with those little robot insects that go around oh, scanning your no. eyeballs. <laughs> uh, that has a very DARPA, um, Boston Dynamics feel to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. All the Black Mirror, all that stuff. I, I can I can do without the robot animals that are on scouting missions or, you know, they're rolling them out in the in the parks in Singapore. Yeah, there was one in the uh, in the UK. They had a robot police officer in the car in the park, and there was a story about someone who tried to report a crime to it, and it said, "Leave me alone," and then started singing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, oh, well, there you go. Apparently, man. there there is no like you know medical out with these these little drones. I mean, he has a legitimate legitimate metal um, medical out, right? He's got to have his eyes covered for. Yeah, hours. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but the robot doesn't care. <laughs> well, neither did the human officers when they found him. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I thought the uh, gesture recognition uh, technology that they used in it was super cool. I think we're seeing some of that getting incorporated into like our VR headphone headsets with our gloves and things like that. Well, even so. just the way that everything everywhere is a touchscreen now. Yeah. But the, the one thing that did seem really outdated, I think you made a note about it, Matt, they were transmitting everything by plugging things out and plugging them back in. Oh, those chips, yeah. Yeah, nothing was wireless. <laughs> yeah, 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 I noticed that. But I did like, those, um, like the glass sheet, and it just slides in, and I did look very stylish. Yeah, it was very clean looking. Or how about the augmented reality where the, the guy was selling those trips to people, you know, like, hey, man, what do you want to what do you want to see? What your future? You know, and like they open one door and there's, there's a guy in there and everybody's saying you're so they're all clapping, saying you're so great. Yeah. You're so great. <laughs> that was <laughs> that seemed extra weird to me. But, uh, you know, I think maybe we're headed that direction with the VR head headsets and things like that. You know I mean? Not too far off. When I, even when I just play like an old Nintendo game, there's part of it is just like, I want to be told that I'm the hero who saved the princess. Like, <laughs> so if you can make it feel like 
someone's really telling me that I'm the hero, that'd be even better. Right. I think they made it clear that the VR chamber was a bit of a... a it's a bit of a sleazy activity. Yeah, yeah. that's like the, the, the strip club for, you know, that, for the diazins of that time. Well, because the, there was that other guy that came in with his daughter in it. Oh, no, I completely ignore it. I, I'm thinking of when Tom Cruise came in with Agatha. When I first saw it, I just thought it was some dude with his kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now, now I'm realizing that's a fake memory. <laughs> right, right. Hey, hey, Phil K. Dick's a good time to get into your fake memories. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I had, sorry, I had one thought, but it's like three ticks back, so I guess it's gone now. This <laughs> oh, <never> <laughs> It's another one of those films where they're like, they're like, oh, here's the futuristic new way that you're going to watch videos. But it can't be too futuristic because we want it to look believable. So it just looks like crap technology that no one would use. <laughs> oh, here's where my thought came in. This is a different sci-fi. But uh, if you guys got into the uh, newer Battlestar Galactica, the whole point of the Galactica is at some point because of because the of the surveillance, because of Cylon, because of all the digital stuff, the Battlestar itself was all analog. You want to talk to someone, you have to pick up a phone and talk yeah, to someone no on like a I hard line. Episode one, yeah. yeah. So I, I wonder if that's somewhere it we are heading. that police station was deliberately insulated. Yeah. If when, you wanted to explain it away. Once the Microsoft racist AI takes over the grid, you know, we, we well, might have to go analog again. We, you've had this thing where you've taken a photo of something really weird. You've seen in Japan and been like, I don't want this in the cloud. Oh, yes, so yes. Only share it. I, I've explained it before, but yeah, I, I had curry up in Hokkaido, the Northern Island. Real nice. We go out, and there's just like this, you know, like blackface statue. And I, I took a picture of it, but I'm like, I can't even put this like anywhere in an in a internet feed. <laughs> yeah. Every, that's, that's the downside of this technology, right? Is that we, we get all these, these amazing benefits from it. We get to interact with our friends on Facebook and people that we've never met on Twitter and all this stuff, but it comes with a price and that price is a portion of our privacy. And then the, these things get, you know, come back to haunt us in a way. And that's like, not even like, it's not even a secret. That is the business model of Facebook. Yeah. We give you yeah. this service and we'll sell your information. No, it's like they've uh, tweaked everything to where like you get your little dopamine kick when you get like your, your update or, you yeah. know, I mean, now it's stupid. It's like someone made a post. It's like, why do I have a notification? Yeah, someone yeah, just yeah. made a post. You know? well, I, I have, I have this feeling where it'll be, I've woken up in the morning, whatever. I haven't got anything to do yet. I'm just scrolling Twitter or Facebook. And I realize, wait, I'm not learning anything. I'm not achieving anything. I'm just doing this because I've somehow been conditioned to think it's nice to scroll this feed. I have to sort of like jump up, throw my phone across the room and go and do something useful. <laughs> I think we've all, I, I certainly have felt the same way about that. I, I, when I got kicked off of Twitter, uh, there was part of me that I was like, you know, this is probably not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> the best thing. <laughs> like I had that, um, I stayed on a farm in Japan for two weeks where there was absolutely no internet. And I was like, oh God, this is actually so nice. But of course, as soon as I got back to civilization, I was like, right, straight on the internet, straight on my Facebook trip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the strength to just actually go cold turkey. No. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, people you know from your past, that's, that's how we contact them. Well, now. Yeah, I, most I, of my friends are on the other side of the planet. Exactly. So. <laughs> I, I, when I changed all my likes to Kenny Rogers, I, I was thinking of just removing my Facebook, but one, I communicate with you through Facebook. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, I, it, I use it mostly just to like communicate with my parents and a few friends and things like that. I, I try, you know, like, I try to barely make posts these days because, especially this year, holy crap, like, you could post something completely innocuous and it's like, you're outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you get it, the the Karens of the world are all over the place, ready to shut you down at a moment's notice. It's been a it's been a crazy couple of months. I'm I'm with you. I'm afraid to post anything on Facebook for fear of of you know exposing myself as being a wrong thinker or something. You know? Right, right as everything was really kicking off, we had a staff party at work, which ended with the entire company holding hands and singing a song. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god if I filmed this now and put it online yeah this is an April date by the way <laughs> oh well we're doing things different here yep. in Japan don't worry about us yeah Japan is definitely walking a weird tightrope at the moment um, I'm I, compared to what I'm seeing in the states I'm happy to walk that tightrope so yeah <laughs> yeah I think you're probably in better shape than we are you know, in a variety of reasons. Yeah, uh, I guess in Japan, the, the, the corruption is usually like right on the surface. Like, like a government minister will there'll be some scandal where they you know change money to all the wrong hands, and people are like, oh yeah, you shouldn't do that. Let's move on. Well, I remember I was in I first got to Japan, and I was talking to some Japanese friends about whatever the latest scandal was, and I like, okay, can you explain it to me? And they were like, oh yeah, well you see, he's the minister of this, and he gave it to a private company. That he's, I was like, that's every single contract in the UK. <laughs> right. Like, our health minister owns a private health company. Our, like, justice minister owns a private security firm. Like, that is one facet that this movie, I, maybe in, two, in the early 2000s it wasn't so obvious, but just getting into that, like, the pre-crime technology itself, like, you know, the scientific corporation mm -hmm. or whatever, would be a pretty major mover and player here. Yeah, yeah, it's, we never really see, like, the... The equivalent of like OCP from Robocop. Yeah, it's like these lawmen pushing it, but yeah, there's yeah, got to be a corporation at work as well. Well, I mean, in this case, it was an experiment, right? So this is like the one example of it. So mm. I guess when they go national at the end of the film, I guess they were planning to contract it out then. Yeah. <laughs> this would be a project in the United States that would be run by DARPA, which Defense Advanced Planning Research authority and uh they are the ones coming up with the future technology and um and and then the then there's a subset of that called inqtel which then is the venture capital department of the cia and then they fund other companies to work on projects like this as well so if they can't if they can't make it with darpa then they've usually been involved in the seed fi financing of some of these other companies that make similar things, and then they have an inside track to the technology. Speaking of, like, DARPA and defense contracts, the police that we see in this film are very militarized. Like, everyone's yeah. got body armor. How, how much had that started in 2002? Well, in 1997, the 1033 program started in the United States under Bill Clinton, and that what that did is it allowed the military to recycle their gear back into the United States, uh, if they were outside of the United States, recycle it back into the police forces for the cost of just shipping and handling. So you started to see the militarization of the police then, but it really got... Um, it really ramped up uh, substantially in the 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, those years when we yeah, so were... so this film was slightly ahead of the trend. Yeah, so we were actively involved in combat operations in the Middle East. Then that equipment was coming back. So it really is more prevalent a little bit later. So they, they actually predicted it right. But, um, but yeah, the the... the 
the militarization of the police had started about five years before this had. Uh, I guess the one way, made. the one way that hasn't aged well is that all the police operations we see in this film are so non-lethal. Yeah. So like they they know for a fact this guy's going to commit a murder, but they do everything in their power to take him alive. Or yeah, it's like Tom that's Cru- true. If they made this film today, Tom Cruise would just be a sniper. Right. So, yeah. Luke, you already said in this episode you were you were briefly with the with the police in, in England, at least. Um, how would the Hot Fuzz unit have uh, reacted if a, a tank rolled up someday for your use? We don't even have guns. No, no. So, I'm, like, that, we'd, have, we'd, we'd have taken it to a field and messed around in it and probably <laughs> broken it. <laughs> <laughs> like, one time we found a musket in the woods and we had to call in the special armed unit to come and deal with it. Because, yeah, that has not started happening. Although, I think if you go to, like, London and places... You are going to see the American style. They've got an assault rifle. There's a big tank in the. But yeah, because guns are just much less common, the criminals don't have them, so the police don't really have them. Yeah, I know in Japan, basically, um, the only time you hear guns being fired is uh, a farmer, you know, rents one from the local office to scare off some crows. <laughs> so, wow. so, so I do wake up to gunshots sometimes, but. <laughs> yeah, I occasionally hear them because there's a bit of farms over that way. But <laughs> I can never tell if it's actually well in the UK. I can never tell is it a gunshot or is it a quarry. I know in the gnarlier neighborhoods of Atlanta where, you know, some of my friends used to live, you'd hear a gunshot and someone has a hole in their finger now or worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, living at, uh, in downtown Los Angeles where, when I went to college, it was a, a nightly occurrence. You would, you would hear gunshots all the time. So, okay, that, there's one, I guess that's one plus of the Minority Report dystopia, not so many gunshots. What's the cost? Don't know, but, well, we can right. see a bit of that. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, no one's getting shot. Yeah, this film holds up. <laughs> it does and it doesn't. Okay, we're... Uh, this film's yeah. ideas are still very interesting and, if anything, only more relevant. The way it handles them is very weird to see in, like, the year 2020. Yeah, I guess it plays a touch, like, steampunk or something. Well, it, it also it just plays everything slightly too light a touch where it shouldn't be. Mm. Like, it has serious moments, but those serious moments are just like, oh, character drama Tom Cruise. But all of its science fiction ideas, it just plays as pretty fast and loose as a fun idea. And, like, it, what it... No one ever says that... Like, all the way through the film, they're saying the system is perfect. And the problem is not that we have this system where we catch people before they commit crimes and put them in a tube. The problem is, oh, ah, oh, maybe sometimes it can make a mistake. Or, ah, oh, maybe Tom Cruise is a bit invested. It never actually questions its concept. Yeah, I guess... In that way, it wouldn't hold up because we actually have techs capable of some of this now. Where it, right. was, it was still a wizard did it uh, when the movie came uh, out. Yes. I mean, maybe not with DARPA, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but with the average man, it was uh, you know a wizard. Yeah, they did, already so. had Project Looking Glass Man. They were seeing the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, like again, three precogs in a tank uh, versus you know a wild AI algorithm. Both sound pretty out there, but one's a little more reality. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the precogs gave me the feeling of, you know, the surveillance state, you know, the three of them, when they put their heads together, they, they can see everything. And it, uh, to me, it was symbolic of, of 
of those those spy agencies all coming together the you know the, the like the CIA MI6 Mossad you know uh putting their heads together and between the three of them they can see everything that happens at things in the future things in the past they can keep track of everybody and and because of that watchful eye in the sky we change our behavior because of that and that's a very um, it's a very dark way of a, a dark world to live in when you have to f- feel that you're constantly being watched. So, um, it, it made me, f- you know, fear, respect, you know, glad that I am where we're in the year we're in right now. Uh, but also a bit fearful that maybe we're headed that, that direction and, and we're not even going to put up much of a fight. Well, the precogs in the movie, of course, are a major liability. I mean, they kidnapped Agatha and murdered her mother, right? Mm. Hey, algorithms, you don't have that liability. <laughs> no. And, you know, it's even peachier for well, that system than in the Minority Report. You tell the algorithm also does something people want, right? It's like, oh, well, now I, the YouTube videos that I want to see are going to come up first. So I don't care about all the data it's collecting because it's using it to give me the entertainment I want. Sure, maybe it also uses it to funnel children towards Nazism sometimes, but <laughs> by, by packaging it as something like, oh, it's a service for you, and then underneath that, they're putting in all the like despicable shit, is how they could do it. I think Elsa Gate was the name for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, there's the weird stuff they sent to kids, oh, no. and there's the literal Nazism that right, they okay. sent to kids. I... <laughs> because the algorithm is, it, if something gets a lot of engagement, it's more likely to push it. So the more extremist a view is, the more the algorithm pushes it towards other people. Well, so you watch one video on The Last Jedi, you get, oh, why The Last Jedi is the Jews trying to take over the media. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm sitting in nice waters. The last time I fell asleep watching YouTube, I woke up two hours later watching some horribly boring long documentary about the different kinds of jet stream airplanes. <laughs> That's where YouTube sent me after a few hours. <laughs> All you ever watch is just um, videos of people riding theme park rides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that and that and baseless music tracks. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're going to be on somebody's list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you like that bass, do you? <laughs> but um, so yeah, it hasn't held up in that the tech actually turned out to be, I guess, like sharper, which yeah. is. Kind of disturbing. I wish we, we got the minority report tech, I guess. Except for that stuff while walking down, you know, mall hallways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the adverts yeah. we get are less public, but they are more personalized. <laughs> like, the ones in this film, it was advertising the same stuff to everyone. It was just using their name. Whereas now I'm getting advertised. Like, my favorite are the really dumb algorithmic t-shirts you get on Facebook. Where, it, like, it detects, like, your name, your job, your girlfriend's name. It's like advertises some t-shirts like why don't you buy this for your girlfriend oh don't mess with me i've got a september man who was born in england and has a <laughs> no, I'm not buy or it'll just say like oh it's a summer haze thing and you get people in my family like oh this is so us we should all buy them <laughs> yeah that's that's where luckily we're, we're only at that at that level where it's just mildly annoying but as they got to the in the movie, as they got to the point where the ads came alive, it, it made me feel like a scene out of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, you know. 
you're just tripping your your ass off and uh and it feels like everybody that you walk by all the billboards are talking to you it would be very disconcerting but also probably fun for about five minutes has anyone caught this thread i have just noticed like in the past couple months um sorry one of my sent mail for the past couple months just getting insane amounts of like random like your interview at you know, oh, like yeah, Amazon, yeah, yeah. your interview at Walmart, like they're just trying to like like yeah, funnel everyone into like all the big corporations now. Well, I think it's just that so many people are currently trying desperately to find a job that they will just click on these emails, not realizing that it's a scam. Yeah, one they're scam, but they're also they're all for like major corporations, right? So, so the, because the chance is that someone, that everyone on this mailing list, ten of them, yeah. apply for that company. Fortunately, I'm not job hunting, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. Yeah, it's a mess here in the states. Everybody's everybody's a bit uh, a bit freaked out. They keep opening us and closing us, and now they're making masks mandatory again. It's really I'd I'd like to wake up and have it be twenty twenty one, please, or at least after the election. Here we got an election coming up, and uh, that's just going to create even more chaos. So I just which just, rapist do you want? Right. <laughs> I, I, I want some of that that space the space drugs that Tom yeah. Cruise was buying to just take me away to someplace else for the next couple of months. Um, that's some technology from the film that I that I'm actively looking forward to. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I'll just get in one of those tubes that they put the criminals in. Guy out and just hey, give me your little head thing uh, and uh, move out. I'm jumping in. I'm done with it. Get <laughs> stop this planet. I want to get off. Dream your best life away. <laughs> yep. Well, as we wrap up a little bit here, um, Charlie, can you tell the good folks a bit about your, your book and your podcast? Sure. Well, I wrote a book called The Octopus of Global Control, and um, it is available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. And also, if you like the digital version, you can just get it at my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. And I have a podcast called Macroaggressions. Uh, it's available on Apple and Spotify and iHeartRadio. And the video version is available on David Icke's platform, Iconic, and also on YouTube. And I do two episodes a week, so you can check it out there. And uh, and on Twitter, if you uh, – I mean, listen, I'm on Twitter now again, so, I mean, I might not be – This isn't going up for a I month, make, so you might be gone by then. <laughs> I make no guarantees, but if you can find me at Macroaggressions on, on Twitter. Uh, one question: How how large is your book? I, I e-read it, so it's, it's it's thick. It's 540 pages. It's a bit of a doorstopper. I you know I had I, a feeling it, it could be used as a blunt weapon. I, again, I did <laughs> yeah. the e-version, so I wasn't quite sure. I, I did enjoy it. People should read it. But <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting look at some uh, r rather fascinating control structures that. Uh, that run our world. And part of that, you know, part of what I got into in that was the technology side of it. So it's one of the reasons why I really connected with this movie, because it, it a lot of the things that I've written about, you know, you see, it, it, you know, you see minority report cover and you can, you can sort of map it out and get a good idea of where, where this uh, technology is taking us and what these elite controllers have planned for us. And unfortunately it's maybe not going to be in our best interest. And if you want to have a happier time and hear a, a British man talk about Pokemon. Yeah, you can. <laughs> on the entirely opposite end of the spectrum, you can listen to my other podcast, 
which you can find on Twitter at Luke Loves PKMN, and it's on all your podcasting apps at Luke Loves Pokemon. Uh, it's also a podcast where just one guy sits and talks on his own, but it's only like six minutes long. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if you like the music that you've heard during this podcast, then you can find Matt's music at rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. We are. I'm gonna try and scream out the letters. It's always a challenge. MLSFS Pod. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do that thing. You can find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFS Pod. We're also on Facebook, and of course you can rate and review on iTunes, all that stuff, blah, 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 no one cares. <laughs> it comes so smoothly out of you. I know, I hate it. I hate how good I am at being a corporate shill. <laughs> Just wait till we have a sponsorship, and I can tell them what nutrient juice to drink or whatever. <laughs> Where to get their mattress. <laughs> Charlie, again, thank you for coming on and chatting with us. I, I definitely enjoy listening to you, and it's uh, very nice to have you be responsive for once since it's not a pre-recording. <laughs> I, I loved this. This was so much fun for me. It was a real treat. Thank you guys so much for having me and for thinking of reaching out to me. This was, yeah. this was a blast. Oh, yeah, thanks for saying that. Well, we'll come back in sometime and, and, and get into NASA. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, let's definitely do it. Is this how a Transformers 3 guest? <laughs> you could be. You want to do Transformers 3 sometime? <laughs> yeah, let's do – we'll do one on uh, on one of the uh, moon, la- moon landing movies, something NASA-related next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, word up. <laughs> as, for, as for now, where can our, our listener run off to? Uh, well, they can just go and stick themselves in a tube and dream their life away. That could be fun, I guess. Is that what the sci-fi sanctuary is? Are we just in a tube? Are we in a tube? Oh, I might as well be. It's a little Japanese apartment. That's pretty... Yeah, let's get Gnostic there. Okay, later, y'all. Okay, thanks. <laughs>
If it's not evil, then there's no need for secrecy. So let the sunshine rain down, let the sunshine rain down free. Adaptation, don't feel the system has evolved. Myriad the mystery of things that never have been solved. If it's not evil, then there's no need for secrecy. So let the sunshine rain down, let the sunshine rain down free. So caught in catching her got and it's right. Got a teenage allowance going oysters to make the walrus cry. If it's not evil, then there's no need for secrecy. So let the sunshine rain down, let the sunshine rain down free. Let the sunshine rain down free. 